Hey, everyone. Today, uh, we've got part two of The Bet by Anton Chekhov. Dave is going to be reading that in just a moment. If you have not listened to part one, go back and find that. You're going to want to hear the beginning of this before you start on the second part. Um, we're going to continue to be putting out some more of these short stories by Russian authors. Um, we hope you're enjoying it, and we hope you're staying safe here during the quarantine. And without further ado, part two. Paris, The Bet, by Anton Chekhov, Part 2. Старик банкир вспоминал всю это и думал. Завтра в 12 часов он получает свободу. По условию я должен буду уплатить ему 2 миллиона. The old banker remembered all this and thought, Tomorrow at 12 o'clock he will regain his freedom. By our agreement, I ought to pay him two million. If I do pay him, it is all over with me. I shall be utterly ruined. Fifteen years before, his millions had been beyond his reckoning. Now, he was afraid to ask himself which were greater, his debts or his assets. Desperate gambling on the stock exchange, wild speculation, and the excitability which he could not get over even in advancing years— had by degrees led to the decline of his fortune, and the proud, fearless, self-confident millionaire had become a banker of middling rank, trembling at every rise and fall in his investments. "'Cursed bet!' muttered the old man, clutching his head in despair. "'Why didn't the man die? He is only forty now. He will take my last penny from me. He will marry—' He'll enjoy life, will gamble on the exchange, while I shall look at him with envy, like a beggar, and hear from him every day the same sentence. I am indebted to you for the happiness of my life. Let me help you. No, it is too much. The one means of being saved from bankruptcy and disgrace is the death of that man. It struck three o'clock. The banker listened. Everyone was asleep in the house, and nothing could be heard outside but the rustling of the chilled trees. Trying to make no noise, he took from a fireproof safe the key of the door which had not been opened for fifteen years, put on his overcoat, and went out of the house. It was dark and cold in the garden. Rain was falling. A damp, cutting wind was racing about the garden, howling and giving the trees no rest. The banker strained his eyes, but could see neither the earth nor the white statues, nor the lodge, nor the trees. Going to the spot where the lodge stood, he twice called the watchman. No answer followed. Evidently, the watchman had sought shelter from the weather, and was now asleep somewhere, either in the kitchen or in the greenhouse. "'If I had the pluck to carry out my intention,' thought the old man, Suspicion would fall first upon the watchman. He felt in the darkness for the steps and the door, and went into the entry of the lodge. Then he groped his way into a little passage and lit a match. There was not a soul there. There was a bedstead with no bedding on it, and in the corner there was a dark cast-iron stove. The seals on the door leading to the prisoners' rooms were intact. When the match went out, the old man, trembling with emotion, 
peeped through the little window. A candle was burning dimly in the prisoner's room. He was sitting at the table. Nothing could be seen but his back, the hair on his head, and his hands. Open books were lying on the table, on the two easy chairs, and on the carpet near the table. Five minutes passed, and the prisoner did not once stir. Fifteen years' imprisonment had taught him to sit still. The banker tapped at the window with his finger, and the prisoner made no movement whatever in response. Then the banker cautiously broke the seals off the door and put the key in the keyhole. The rusty lock gave a grating sound and the door creaked. The banker expected to hear at once footsteps and a cry of astonishment, but three minutes passed and it was as quiet as ever in the room. He made up his mind to go in. At the table, a man unlike ordinary people was sitting motionless. He was a skeleton with the skin drawn tight over his bones, with long curls like a woman's and a shaggy beard. His face was yellow with an earthy tint in it. His cheeks were hollow, his back long and narrow, and the hand on which his shaggy head was propped was so thin and delicate that it was dreadful to look at. His hair was already streaked with silver, and seeing his emaciated, aged-looking face, no one would have believed that he was only forty. He was asleep. In front of his bowed head there lay on the table a sheet of paper, on which was something written in fine handwriting. "'Poor creature!' thought the banker. He's asleep and most likely dreaming of the millions. And I have only to take this half-dead man, throw him on the bed, stifle him a little with the pillow, and the most conscientious expert would find no sign of a violent death. Uh, but let us first read what he has written here. The banker took the page from the table and read as follows. Tomorrow... At twelve o'clock I regain my freedom, and the right to associate with other men. But before I leave this room and see the sunshine, I think it necessary to say a few words to you. With a clear conscience, I tell you, as before God who beholds me, that I despise freedom and life and health, and all that in your books is called the good things of the world. For fifteen years I have been intently studying earthly life. It is true I have not seen the earth nor men, but in your books I have drunk fragrant wine, I have sung songs, I have hunted stags and wild boars in the forest, I have loved women, beauties as ethereal as clouds, created by the magic of your poets and geniuses, have visited me at night, and have whispered in my ears wonderful tales that have set my brain in a whirl. In your books I have climbed to the peaks of Elbers and Mont Blanc, and from there I have seen the sun rise, and have watched it at evening flood the sky, the ocean, and the mountain tops with gold and crimson. I have watched from there the lightning flashing over my head and cleaving the storm clouds, I have seen green forests, fields, rivers, lakes, towns. 
singing of the sirens and the strains of the shepherd's pipes. I have touched the wings of comely devils who flew down to converse with me of God. In your books I have flung myself into the bottomless pit, performed miracles, slain, burned towns, preached new religions, conquered whole kingdoms. Your books have given me wisdom. All that the unresting thought of man has created in the ages is compressed into a small compass in my brain. I know that I am wiser than all of you. And I despise your books. I despise wisdom and the blessings of this world. It is all worthless, fleeting, illusory, and deceptive, like a mirage. You may be proud, wise, and fine, but death will wipe you off the face of the earth, as though you were no more than mice burrowing under the floor. And your posterity, your history, your immortal geniuses will burn and freeze together with the earthly globe. You have lost your reason and taken the wrong path. You have taken lies for truth and hideousness for beauty. You would marvel if, owing to strange events of some sort, frogs and lizards suddenly grew on apple and orange trees instead of fruit, or if roses began to smell like a sweating horse. So I marvel at you who exchange heaven for earth. I don't want to understand you. To prove to you in action how I despise all that you live by, I renounce the two million of which I once dreamed as of paradise, and which I now despise. To deprive myself of the right to the money, I shall go out from here five hours before the time fixed, and so break the compact. When the banker had read this, he laid the page on the table, kissed the strange man on the head, and went out of the lodge weeping. At no other time, even when he had lost heavily on the stock exchange, had he felt so great a contempt for himself. When he got home, he lay on his bed, but his tears and emotion kept him for hours from sleeping. Next morning, the watchmen ran in with pale faces, and told him they had seen the man who lived in the lodge climb out of the window into the garden, go to the gate, and disappear. The banker went at once with the servants to the lodge and made sure of the flight of his prisoner. To avoid arousing unnecessary talk, he took from the table the writing in which the millions were renounced, and when he got home, locked it up in the fireproof safe. Tom Chekhov. Um, feel free to check out some of his works. Um, we've got some more stories coming soon, so stay tuned and listen to those. Um, if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, check that out. We've got some some uh, extra content that we're posting on there. So you get some bragging rights with your friends.
us know uh, what you're liking. What uh, what's, what episodes have you been listening to while you've been quarantined? We hope you're doing well. Stay safe out there. We'll see you soon. <laughs>